Greetings Creeps, and welcome to Horror Girl Problems, the podcast slash videocast. Thanks for listening, Mom and Nephew Noah. It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new year, and holy fuck, there's a lot of real-life horror happening. My mission, not just this year, but in this life, is to create fun, fantastical, horrific goodness, and to fight against all real-life horrors in all of their various shapes and forms. I don't always know how to do that. It's something that I'm working on every day. I know a lot of you are as well. You are not alone. That brings us to the topic of this week's podcast, Harbingers of Joy. This is my best of 2020 list, the things that brought me tremendous amounts of joy. So it seemed only fitting instead of running down this list by myself to invite Harbingers of Joy in human form. So as a treat for you creeps, and admittedly a selfish treat for myself as well, I have invited some wonderful humans who I respect and admire so much to join me today and talk about why they love this stuff. Oh, one exciting announcement. Exciting for me, hopefully you're excited about it too. Something I've been working on for a long time and have finally launched, a shop. I'm hesitant to call it Horror Girl Problems merch. Um, it's not really, I mean, it's not branded as Horror Girl Problems, but I did make it, so Horror Girl Problems created apparel. I don't know, <laughs> that's a work in progress. Anyway, the shop is launched, so I can't really draw or paint, but I fucking love me some screen printing by hand. So the majority of the stuff you'll see there is screen printed things. Screen printed by these two babies right here. If you'd like to check it out, Horgoproblems.com, the little shop link at the top, bam, done. All right, let's get into this list. Number 10, do I do a drum roll? Should we save drum roll for number one? I don't know, is it anticlimactic if I do a drum roll for each one? Maybe we'll bookend it number 10 and number one. Right. Starting off our list, number 10, Harbingers of Joy is Class Action Park. Record scratch, but Angel, Class Action Park is not a horror film. And to that I would say, then you haven't watched it. And if you have, then you probably should go back and rewatch it. So Class Action Park is a documentary about a place that really existed in real life that should never have existed. Basically the best way I could describe it is, if you were to give me like a million bucks when I was 10 years old, I take that back, a million dollars is too big of a budget for this. So if you gave 10 year old Angel $5,000 to make an amusement park, based on the logic in the mind of a 10 year old without any regard for safety or anything like that, class action park is what you would get. Dude, they had an actual water slide, not built by engineers or anything like that, an actual water slide that did a freaking, a loop in a water slide. You're not strapped into anything. You're just going and you're hoping that gravity will take you and not kill you in the process. But don't take my word for it. Here is executive producer and co-writer of host, Jed Shepard. Hey everybody, my name is Jed Shepard and I am the writer and exec producer of Host, which came out on Shudder in July last year. Um, though people say that that's the scariest movie of the decade, this next film I'm going to talk about is definitely one of the scariest films that I've seen for a long time. And it isn't a horror film, it's a documentary. It came out on HBO Max uh, sometime last year and it's Class Action Park. Um, now, I think reality is the most scariest thing of all, and something like this that kind of holds a mirror up to humanity and shows how weird 
and bizarre and scary humans really are is is very very interesting uh class action parks about a water park in new jersey and kind of covers the time from the end of the 70s to like the early 80s it just documents all the accidents that happen all of the weird health and safety issues that this um water park had um throughout the years and how there wasn't really anyone who was looking after that side of things. There wasn't really a proper HR or health and safety person. And just the lawsuits piled up after the kids' bodies piled up. It is crazy. And I think the best kind of horror lies in authenticity. And this is real life. There, there are stories in newspapers about this. So if you want to watch the scariest real film of the year, it's Class Action Park. Thank you, Jed. All right. Number nine on our list is The Cleansing Hour. It is hard to do a fresh take on an old classic trope. That's not to say that things working in the realm of classic tropes can't be good. They can. It's just really, really hard to bring a fresh and original lens to something like that. But when something comes along and manages to do that successfully, now that is something very special and that is exactly what The Cleansing Hour does. If you think you've seen everything there is to see in a possession film, get ready to be blown away. Here's Matt Donato with more. So bear with me as I cram everything I can about the cleansing hour into a minute. But I think what Damien Levesque and Aaron Horowitz accomplished best is taking a subgenre that we've seen over and over again, possessions, uh, exorcisms, these kinds of things, and taking it into the modern era. Horror is always evolving. So the fact that they take this exorcism scenario, give it to a fake priest played by Ryan Guzman, and his producer is overwatching the whole thing played by Kyle Gallner. The possession victim, Alex Angelis, is still the standout somehow. You just named two tremendous actors, but uh, Angelis does such great work strapped to a chair, but also writhing in pain and conveying the demon's uh, instructions. So what we get is something inventive. What we get is something that comes with commentary because there's themes of blasphemy as you go back to a Catholic, a Christian past and whatnot. And then you still get a thrill ride of a horror film that really emulates that uh, Halloween vibe as it came out in October. So really just goes a lot of places that we've seen before, but does it in ways that you haven't seen just yet. Boom. Thank you, Matt. All right, that brings us to number eight on our list, Birds of Prey. No, it isn't horror, but it is a genre film, so in it goes. I heard so much shit being flung at this movie. I went to the Vista Theater to see it opening weekend. The projector busted. I did not get to see it, and I never got a second chance to see it in theaters before lockdown happened. So I went a long time without seeing this movie. When I finally did, I watched it at home and holy hell, I had a fucking blast. Admittedly, I'm not a huge fan of superhero films. I don't actively dislike them. They're just never high on my watch list. I did see Suicide Squad and Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn was the best part of that movie, hands down. And giving her her own movie was every bit as fun as I hoped it was going to be. The campiness of this was just at the right level for me and I was sitting on my couch cheering and applauding and I just had a blast the entire way through. There's so many fun characters in this and I was just fucking losing my mind. Someone who knows a hell of a lot more about superhero and comic book movies than I do, Reina Cervantes. My name is Reina Cervantes and one of my favorite movies of 2020 is Birds of Prey, directed by Kathy Yan and starring Margot Robbie. 
To me, this film was everything I wanted from a Harley Quinn film all done through a female gaze, a first for the character. Not only that, but the film wears its Hong Kong action movie influence on its sleeve, providing some of the most kick-ass and brutal action that we've seen in the DC Cinematic Universe yet. At the end of the day, I just wanted a good Harley Quinn movie, but what I ended up getting was one of the absolute best comic book movies I've seen in quite some time, starring a phenomenal cast. Fingers crossed for a sequel that I hope we see one day. Thank you, Reina. Okay, number seven on our list is Bly Manor. This is not a movie, it's a show, but I am doing this as an all-encompassing movie slash shows for this reason. Bly Manor is the only reason I had to extend that and like broaden the parameters a little bit because this had to be on my top 10 list. This show fucking gutted me. I say that as a compliment in the best way possible. Like, holy shit, I was ruined for days. I ache a little bit right now just talking about it again. But fuck, what a beautiful, refreshing, unexpected surprise in the realm of gothic romance. Bly Manor might be haunted, but I am forever haunted by Bly Manor. Zofia wrote a gorgeous article on the beauty of Bly Manor, so take it away, Zofia. Um, Bly Manor is easily one of my favorite shows of 2020. The second installment of Mike Flanagan's Netflix series is this time based on The Tune of the Screw by Henry James. We have um, Danny Clayton, who was portrayed by Victoria Pedretti, um, who takes on the role of au pair um, for orphan Miles and Flora. Then we have Jamie, who's played by uh, Amelia Eve, and she's a grand grandskeeper. We have Nia Miller, who plays Hannah. Um, the housekeeper, and we have Rahul Kohli who plays a chef. Um, what was the most unexpected and the most wonderful thing about the show, however, is unexpected um, love story between Danny and Jamie. Um, although the tragic finale really strikes us in the hearts, however it is, after all, in the style of gothic romance, the characters still manage to showcase us a very healthy, beautiful, domestic relationship, domestic picture of a relationship between two women. Additionally, the audience can see the topics of grief, passing, and real-life horrors that we as people face every day. Thank you, Zofia. And if you guys have a chance to check out that article, definitely give it a read. Alrighty, that brings us to number six on our list. Spontaneous. Okay, I grew up with, I'm not going to call it irrational, but I grew up with a fear of quicksand, and spontaneous combustion. My aunt had a book on spontaneous combustion that she let me borrow when I was probably far too young to read about it. What's the right age for learning about spontaneous combustion? I don't know, I'm not a parent, but I'm gonna guess I was probably a little bit too young at the time to take on those anxieties. So this movie is a teen coming of age rom-com, but make it horror. That is basically a wet dream pitch for me, and this did not disappoint. It's a new form of body horror with relevant social commentary. Here is BJ Colangelo to tell you more. Hi, I'm BJ Colangelo, and I'm a filmmaker and a film theorist here to talk to you about my favorite movie of 2020, and that is Brian Duffield's Spontaneous. Spontaneous is based on a pretty popular young adult novel of the same name, and if there is a film that could better encapsulate what 2020 feels like, Spontaneous is it. It's a story about a high school in, you know, 
Anywhere USA where the students start spontaneously combusting and it's gory and it's graphic and they legitimately just explode. The government can't really figure out what's going on. They try to quarantine these kids first off to see if they can figure it out and they end up giving them a form of medication that they call the snooze button. It doesn't make anything stop. It just delays things for a little bit. So what we're left with are these characters that know that any day might be their last. It's clearly an allegory for school shooting, but has become weirdly relevant in uh, 2020 America. Um, it, it stars Katherine Langford, who many people know from Knives Out or 13 Reasons Why, giving quite possibly one of the strongest performances of the year. And the unfortunate reality is that because this is a movie that's sort of geared towards teens, um, it's probably not going to get the bells and whistles that it deserves. But it's gritty, it's kind of gross, it's graphic, but it has a really genuinely beautiful heart at all of it. There are moments that will make you feel so good and make you feel so invigorated about life. And then there are moments that are gonna break your heart a little bit. And then of course, moments that are gonna make you laugh because after all, it's a movie about people blowing up out of absolutely nowhere. So do yourself a favor, rent it. It's available on VOD. It's gonna cost you a little bit because this isn't like a, oh, I pay for my streaming, therefore this is free. No, pay for it, support these creators and check out Spontaneous. Thank you, BJ. Did you guys peep that sweet jacket in the background? And what a beautiful segue to lead us to number five on the list. It's like a little inadvertent Easter egg. Number five is Freaky. I was lucky enough to catch this one at the drive-in, which was just a fucking perfect environment for it. You can see in here people cheering in their cars and just kind of like losing their minds. So it managed to be a separate but together shared experience, which is like the best fucking way to experience a movie like this. This one is kind of a horror darling this year and rightfully so. It was a lot of fun the way slashers are, but it had a hell of a lot of heart to it also, which should come as no surprise. And might I add, seeing a queero, queer hero on screen was giving me life. Here is Ghastly Grinnings and we are Horzine's very own Ryan Larson to talk some more about it. Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Larson. I am the editor and co-founder of GhastlyGrinding.com as well as one of the co-founders of the We Are Horror Zine. And I'm here to tell you why Freaky was one of the best movies of 2020. What Freaky manages to do is take uh, the slashers that we love from the 70s, 80s, and onwards and update them to a modern and current era. And it does so without really trying to be a meta-commentary. It is a true blue slasher. It pokes, a, you know, fun at the at the slashers of yesteryear but never in a way um that is anything but a love letter and an homage to those slashers but it does all of that and then it manages to update it and bring it up to modern day times it makes it feel modern and relevant and new and refreshing and it's really funny and it's emotional and heartfelt and it's genuine and it has an amazing cast um the final role played by Catherine newton is absolutely incredible uh we get this badass killer in Vince Vaughn. We have this support cast that is truly just a ton of fun. Misha Osharopich and Celeste O'Connor as the best friends are just such uh, dynamic, powerful roles. And then, you know, we have this crisp, clean, elegant direction from Christopher Landon. We have this beautiful script from Michael Kennedy, uh, Bear McCreary, one of the best modern horror score um, composers out there is on this. I mean, this thing is stacked from top 
top to bottom and it absolutely shows it is fun it's delightful it's a it's a you know it's an engaging thrill ride and you absolutely must check it out thank you ryan number four on our list is the invisible man this is the last movie i got to see in an actual movie theater before lockdown and i'm super grateful for it the way the backstory is updated not just in terms of the science and technology behind it but also the relationship between Elizabeth Moss's character and Adrian, the Invisible Man, is just chilling. The way it deals with the themes of gaslighting and abuse, it's just, it's icky, horrific stuff in a different way, but I feel like it's handled very eloquently. There was a scene in this that caught me so brutally off guard. There was just like this collective like, <gasps> gasp in disbelief like throughout the entire theater. You know that feel of sitting in a movie theater and the tension and the suspense and the anxiety is just building and building and you're sitting in the theater with like a hundred other people and everyone's just like holding their breath waiting for the awful thing to happen. It's tangible like you can feel it. It almost feels like you could just like touch it in the air like just like slice through it. Oh fuck I miss movie theaters. Anyway. Elizabeth Moss is a total badass. I love this one. Here is Gory Corey with some more. Luminol's Invisible Man was hands down my favorite film of the year. I think it's close to a perfect movie. Um, the way that it was able to use a literal invisible force as a metaphor for violence and domestic abuse was incredible. It was so terrifying, even for people that have never seen it. I thought it did such a good job at showcasing the true horrors of a traumatic event like that, a traumatic experience, and in a way that we've like never really seen it done before. And I think it's sort of, that's what the horror genre is for, is to discuss these horrible things happening within our society and to help us be able to empathize with them even if we haven't gone through those experiences ourselves or if we have gone through those experiences ourselves. So I'm hoping that it'll really make people think and just the camera work alone was absolutely brilliant. So I thought that movie was genius and definitely my favorite of the year. Thank you, Corey. All right, that brings us to our top three. Getting down to it. Number three on our list is Scare Package. When I saw this movie, I truly needed it. Like I needed this in my life on that particular night at this moment in time. That is what I needed. I love, love, love anthologies. And I'm being modest here. That's an understatement. I fucking love them. But good ones are very few and far between. Scare Package is filled with copious amounts of blood splattering, gorific goodness. And it is just a hell of a lot of fun the entire way through. The wraparound narrative in this centers on Chad Buckley, aka Rad Chad, who runs Rad Chad's Horror Emporium. Now Rad Chad is reason enough alone to watch this movie, but all of the shorts within this are so much fun. And the way they're worked into the wraparound is really quite clever and it's a fucking blast. Take it away with some more scare package goodness, Mary Parker. Hey, Mary Parker here. Maybe it's the short story writer in me, but I love anthology horror films. And somehow in 2020, we got one of the best anthology films ever, Scare Package. This Shutter exclusive has everything your horrible heart could desire. You got blood, guts, thrills, kills, humor. It's magical. I think we all can agree we want to work at Rad Chad's 
Horror Emporium. This movie is so good. It takes all of your classic horror tropes and pays homage to them while also subverting them. I think probably my favorite segment is either The Night He Came Back Again, Part 4, The Final Kill, that just checks all of my boxes, or maybe M-I-S-T-E-R. That one has a real bite. You guys definitely have to check this out. And here's hoping we get more awesomeness like this in 2021. Thanks! That brings us to number two on the list, The Mortuary Collection. If you follow the Horrible Problems blog at all or listen to the podcast, you have heard me nerd out a lot about this one. <laughs> the number one thing that wins me over when I'm watching a movie is to transport me. If you can transport me, I am yours. I watched this movie for the very first time in the dead of summer, sweating balls, and it just, it made it Halloween night. Like it was just, I fucking swear, it was like an October breeze and I was just eating fistfuls of candy corn. Like it was just, it was a moment. The whole look of this one is something that I am so enamored with. And it's a series of just these really great cautionary tales and uh, tales of morality, but done in just a really fucking fun and beautiful, sick way. <laughs> I have entire podcast episodes and articles dedicated to the Mortuary Collection and my love for this movie. So I'm going to shut up for now and hand it over to Prince Jackson, aka the head knight of the Nightlight Podcast. What's up everybody? Prince, also known as Head Knight here. Um, I was asked by Horror Girl Problems to go ahead and say a couple of things about my love for the Mortuary Collection. I fucking love that movie. It is fantastic. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where if someone would have said, hmm, do you want to see a guy have a baby and possibly die by it? Uh, yeah, sign me the fuck up. That is how awesome that movie is, everybody. So yeah, sorry, it's all like blaring and lights and bright and all the whole nine. I'm in California, it's nice and sunny. But uh, yeah, it is a fantastic movie. Ryan Spindle did a fantastic job making this anthology, probably hands down one of the best anthologies I've seen in probably like 10 or 10 or 15 years. It's a fantastic movie. Gives you vibes of trick or treat in a way. It's just, it's such a fun movie and I highly suggest checking it out over on Shutter. Go ahead and do yourself a favor. All right, that brings us to number one on the list, Horror Problems, number one harbinger of joy for 2020. You can't, is it weird to hear the drum roll but not see it? Wait, if I go over here. If you have followed me at all or spoken even a single word to me since summer, then this should come as no surprise. I have been very vocal about my love for this movie. It is the one, the only, the wildly chilling, pissy pants inducing host. What they managed to achieve here is beyond incredible. This movie genuinely scared the absolute piss out of me. I was on edge and anxious in my own home for at least a week after. I turned off all the lights to like give it ambiance for my first watch. And when I was done with the movie, I had to pee, but I did not want to get up and walk to the bathroom. A grown ass woman in my own home because I was too scared. That is a true story. I was too much of a fucking wussy pants to get up and go pee because the house was dark and I was fucking scared. Even turning on the lights, I was still scared because demons don't give a shit if it's light or dark. Here is the super ghoul, Crystal, to talk about it a bit more. 
One of my top favorite horror movies of 2020 would have to be Host on Shudder. This movie, directed by Rob Savage and written with Jed Shepard and Gemma Hurley, focuses on a group of friends that want to take their Zoom hangouts to the next level during a pandemic, and they do so by hiring a professional to lead them in a seance. As you can imagine, things don't go well from there. Things actually spiral out of control. And I remember watching this movie for the first time and texting my friends immediately afterwards saying, hey, you've got your Shutter subscription set up, right? Or why haven't you started your seven day free trial? It's not every day that I stumble upon a found footage horror movie that compels me to watch it over and over and over again. So when I found Host, I was amazed. The thing that I love about Host is that it is a true pandemic story because prior to production starting, they were, the, the cast and crew, I mean, they were a group of friends that would just hop on Zoom to watch movies together. When you have that kind of talent in your social circles, it eventually turns into, fuck this, let's make a movie. And thank you guys so much because we all love it. Another thing that I love about this movie is that despite taking place during the middle of a pandemic, it doesn't remind us of the pandemic. I find that I'm most reminded of the pandemic when I'm watching movies that depict scenes in other environments that are existing as if the pandemic isn't there. And that's why I love Host. I've got a Zoom seance to get to, but if you haven't watched Host, go ahead and check it out. It's available to stream on Shutter right now. So as fun and as amazing as this movie is on its own as just a standalone entity, awesome, scary fucking thing, it really turned into an experience. And it was just such a cool added joy to watch this thing, honestly, blow the fuck up. As soon as I watched it, I knew it was going to be a phenomenon. It was just too fucking inventive and creative and scary and wonderful. But getting to watch all of that unfold in real time and seeing the creators and the cast and the crew just sort of exploding and just being so lovely and gracious and just enjoying the ride was honestly like the feel-good moment of the summer. It was just so cool watching all of this happen. My mom does not watch horror films. Like my dad and I, horror is our thing. It's like our shared bonding thing. It's what we do, we're monster kids. My mom wants no fucking part of that. But I was going on and on about Host and just how fucking awesome it was that I got my mom to watch it with me. And like, I mean, granted she was like, punching me in the leg every time there's something scary happened, like I made the movie. But that's just another example of this movie being an experience. On a very early episode of this podcast, I got to interview Emma from Host right after watching it, and it was just such a fucking delight, you know? And Jed Shepard, who you saw earlier talking about Class Action Park, everyone involved with this project has just been so delightful. Like that's the best word I have for her, is they're just a delight. And I'm so happy to see their well-deserved success and I'm excited to watch them keep on climbing because clearly they have the chops, they just needed the shot and they are going. All right, a couple of honorable mentions. Relic. This did a doozy on me. I was not expecting to feel those feels, but damn, what a beautifully horrific way to address the themes that it tackles. It is heavy and haunting, yes, in a haunted house way, but also in like a oof, it cuts much, much, much deeper than that way. But here is Fango Phil to put it much more eloquently than I can. Hey, this is Phil Nobile Jr., editor of Fangoria Magazine, and my pick for horror film of 2020 is Natalie Erica James's Relic. I think one reason Relic grabbed me so much uh, was because I went in cold, and we seldom get to do that anymore. You have movies spoiled for you, teased trailers, uh, the internet. 
Uh, and so you kind of have to curate the experience of going in cold to a movie. But I was lucky enough to do that with Relic. And uh, I was immediately taken with the fact that it's a horror story about adults. And, you know, horror stories about adults are on the rise. But it's still, it's still nice to see when a horror protagonist is a proper grown-up instead of a, a youth. Um, but the bigger reason Relics left such a mark was that it's so grounded in real, relatable human experience that the horror by the end is almost incidental. You're not exactly reacting to the horror in the movie. You're reacting to something much more universal, something cl much closer to the human condition. Subtext becomes text, and you're realizing that you are uh, going through a spectrum of emotions that you either have or will experience as a human being. You know, one of the definitions of horror I've always loved is that it's a genre in which we experience terrors greater than we actually know. So to me, it's significant that at some point during its runtime, Relic jumps tracks and is only concerned with presenting you uh, with a human element and with a terror that you will undoubtedly deal with at some point. That's really bold and that it does it successfully on top of being Natalie Erica James's first feature is nothing less than an achievement. Also, shout out to Phil for cutting that beautiful little segment. That was not me at all. That was none of my work. That was all Phil. So thank you for putting the work in and making that really sweet little segment. There you have it, my top 10 Harbingers of Joy for 2020 and an honorable mention. There's also more honorable mentions and then I kind of cheat a little and I go into like different categories uh, on the blog post if you want to check that out. <laughs> to all the creators, the makers, and everyone involved in the process, thank you. Keep making awesome shit. What you do is important and I guarantee you it helps people in ways you'll probably never even realize. Your creations are bringing joy into the world and when you do that it radiates out like a ripple effect. And maybe the people it touches will go on to create more joy and it just radiates and radiates and radiates on and on and on and on. I can say for me personally that horror films and the horror community have brought me a shit ton of joy especially in 2020. Huge thank you to everyone who joined me for this episode and a huge thank you to everyone I've had the pleasure of chatting with this year, whether that was a Zoom interview or a watch party or just an online exchange. A lot of people have been quite kind to me this year and I'm super, super grateful for it. And a super massive thank you goes out to everybody watching and listening. I thank you so much for that. You are absolutely huge, 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 major harbingers of joy. So thank you. Let's keep that joy going. Let's keep it radiating. And that's all I got. I hope I find some ways in this new year to hopefully make it a better year for you somehow, even in some small, tiny way. As always, you can find me at horrorgirlproblems.com. There's links there for my socials, Twitter, and Instagram. Check out the new Horror Girl Problems shop if you're so inclined. Rate, comment, subscribe. That's always super helpful and super appreciated. All right, and I'll catch you next week for some more spooky shit.